Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that! Musical sting! I told Allie that I was going to tease her up top, and my <laughs> my joke was going to be, since Allie is, uh, listeners, Allie works for The Atlantic, yes, That Atlantic, and I was gonna tease her. Why don't we just close up shop tonight and wait for like some world event to happen that we could actually talk about since everything's so boring right now? Right, (laughs) but that's not gonna happen. Um, we (laughs) because we talking tonight. Were any of your colleagues were they impacted by this in a direct fashion? Yeah, I mean, we had we had people who were there, we had a few members of National Journal. Um, who do more of our political, like government reporting. Um, DC is, you know, a place that anybody can go. And we all, you know, technically feel like we have like a claim to DC. But DC is residential, mostly. I mean, people yeah. live in DC, breathe in DC, their families are in DC, their children are there, their jobs are there, their schools. Um, so it was really painful to look at all those pictures. And I don't even really have that close of a you know, tied to DC, just like that, really that area of Capitol Hill. And I, and I get that, you know, it's kind of the center of where democracy is and it's always going to be politicized no matter what, but it just felt very, very sad for me to see pictures of people climbing, you know, on top of the Capitol building and seeing pictures of, you know, I was listening to the daily, the New York daily um, podcast about the day of that. And it sounded like I was listening to a horror movie. Yeah. It's not like I was listening to an audible of a horror movie. They were talking about the secret secure or the, I was going to say secret service. It, maybe it is the secret service. I don't know. Talking about how they had to like pick Mitch McConnell up and carry yep. him to the underground bunker. And like people were like holding on to Mitt Romney, pushing him like through the corridor. Yep. Just scary stuff. And one of the first things I thought of was, was Ruth. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I cannot imagine, you know, what she would have said about this. You know, that was one of the first things I thought of. Impeach him. (laughs) He knows who his audience is, right? Like, he knows who he's talking to. And it's like, you play those tapes back, like you were saying, Allie. And you're like, oh, yeah, that stand, you know, stand by Proud Boys comment. His particular brand... Um, of devout followers have been showing their hand this whole time. Um, And he has done nothing to deter or... And neither have the rest of the Republican Party. Right. Which is, again, what is extremely troubling. And that brings us back to seeing our own parents and siblings like remaining in this party just because I guess they don't want to see the party fail. Um, Yeah. You know, what I saw last week 
was um, the result of a mass mass conspiracy theory that Joe Biden had not, in fact, won the election. You know, the thing about that is there, you know, elections have been contested throughout history. This is not the first time that somebody has had an issue um, with the results of an election. I also understand people being upset about the results of an election. I was very upset in 2016 about the results of the election. So I get that. I I understand that there has been voter fraud um, throughout history. It's a huge problem. There have been many, many court cases presented about this election. All of them have been dismissed. I don't know of a single one that's still being litigated right now. So the main reason that it was, there are a lot of people who are comparing it to protests that happened over the summer about protests in general and like, shouldn't you protect everybody's right to protest? It's not about not protesting. Like these people went into the Capitol to try to interrupt the democratic process. The distrust of these organizations, the media or democracy in general, the whole democratic process, like all of these things have been perpetuated by Donald Trump, which is very interesting when you think about what conservatism is. So I was listening to, Yuval Harari talk about um, political theory. Um, he wrote *Sapiens*. Um, it's a book about oh yeah the history of humankind and um, kind of with the uniqueness of humans, our ability to like make tools and stuff like that. So he's talking about um, he didn't talk about this in that book, but I was listening to a podcast he was on, and he was talking about um, the role that um, conservatism plays in societies and because every society you know needs yin and yang it needs all of these pieces it needs people who are more progressive and it needs people who are going to be more conservative Um, and the role of a conservative force in society is to protect institutions to make sure that institutions do not break down and fall apart because if you move too far to the progressive side, the idea is that we need to reinvent the whole wheel. We need to change everything, switch everything around. Like that's the radical part of being progressive, right? So the fact that we have the president who is, you know, the lead of the Republican party in this country, the conservative party, who is actively trying to dismantle and create distrust in institutions, by perpetuating conspiracy theories, by um, creating distrust in the media, creating distrust in, um, you know, all of these. The legal system. The legal system, right, through, like, the court cases, the CDC, um, his own cabinet, other positions, you know, other than him, you know, that's that's the piece that, um, to me, stands out the most is like, this is what happens when you tell people that they can no longer trust anything. It is baffling what you said about like, just the heart of conservatism. I do not know how this party will recover. They said, oh, Mitt Romney was a bit boring. We're going to need someone because we want power. We're going to need someone a little bit more spicy. And you hitched your wagon like on the like hot tamale train to hell. And so, 
I feel like the conservative Republican Party in this country kind of always had this mean streak, and Donald Trump just capitalized on it because, yeah, in our country, I mean, obviously, institutions are not perfect, and when we try to uphold imperfect institutions, that's not great. And I think that's what we've seen the Republican Party doing with Donald Trump is just like very violently and aggressively saying like, no, like we don't care what you say about us anymore. We don't want to change a ding dang thing, even if it's outright racist, even if it's outright sexist, even if it's homophobic, like we're going to catapult this country back in time. So I kind of wonder if that isn't what was kind of there all along and Trump just kind of brought it out of a lot of people. Not to say that every Republican is like a homophobic, like misogynist racist, but I mean, the things that the party has stood for, I don't think it's just Trump, you know, it, it was thousands right. of people at the Capitol, so. Y'all, as a country, we have no problem with arresting um, just hundreds of people at Standing Rock a few years ago. We have yeah. no problem arresting um, and detaining children at the border of, of our nations. Yeah. We have no problem with these things. What are you doing? You can demonize and dehumanize and erase all these kinds of people. And, yeah. and yet, like... We have to be really civil and really polite and like, oh, I just, that wasn't real Trump supporters. That was Antifa. You know, like it didn't even happen. And it's like, oh my gosh, this complicated gymnastics that like white conservative evangelicals have to do to maintain this position of morality in the age of Trump is just like incredible. Systemic issues of racism in this country are so out of control. We have to, like, we have to wake up to this. Yeah. We have to wake up. You know, Allie, yeah. I, as you're talking, I think that I have protected myself from some of those emotions because as you're saying them, I'm starting to feel them. And I don't realize that I, I didn't realize that I hadn't felt them yet. I've been thinking about this on a very intellectual level, but you're right. Those places have deep meaning to me personally. And one yeah. of the first things, one personal thing that I thought of, uh, and really I was, I I go, we haven't asked you about your um, Enneagram yet, but I'm, um, uh, this is more about my Myers-Briggs. As an INTJ, I'm pretty crisis oriented so that when I'm in the middle of a crisis, I'm very like solution oriented. I'm kind of hyper aware and strategic and so I was thinking about all the ways that I knew that people could get out. I knew I was thinking about the procedures for crises like this in the Capitol building, about what the security looks like. But one part of my brain went, there are so many artifacts in the Capitol. And the first thing I thought of was Lincoln's catafalque, which is down on like the bottom layer that's accessible to the public. And the catafalque is basically the beer on which his body was laid in Washington, D.C. And you can just see it. It's just there. And I thought, did anybody like throw paint on it? Did they push through the barrier that protects it? Like, did something happen? I, you know, 
And I, and then I think my brain was like, you have too many other things to worry about right now. You can't worry about this. And just now I was, I lived eight blocks from the Capitol building. Um, and yeah, I think maybe that's something I'm going to be contemplating in the next few days that I haven't given myself the, uh, the permission to do that kind of real personal, um, look right now. And so many schools send kids on trips to DC, right? Like, yep. Cause mm-hmm. it is like a special place. And when I was watching the live stream and I was like glued to it, I saw these motherfuckers striding around the rotunda with their stupid ass flags and their getup. And I was just like, I stood in that rotunda. I stood in line for hours to get into that rotunda. Like hours, and you know, we had security checks and we were eighth graders, but like we got in there and it was just amazing. And we were all taking photos of the ceiling. And I just remember it being a very, like, it was almost like a church atmosphere. Like people were talking, but like hushed and it was very respectful. And this was just the complete opposite of that. It's the seat of our government. It's very symbolic. There's so much history there. The artifacts are there. yeah and then my second thought was just if if one of these people has a gun and one of them kills any government official like what does that mean and then my third thought was like i don't uh reichstag fire i was just like if one of these people lights a match what if, what if they just burn the capitol building down like they could do it there were thousands of them there and they clearly didn't give a shit about anything and I was just like, and the way that they're now blaming Antifa for stuff, I'm like, you sound a lot like a dictator trying to blame his enemies for his problems. And it's not a good look. Yeah. So here's the question that I want to ask you, ladies, because um, I'm hearing this a lot in the conversation because it's been a year. And in my like deep core, I have a response to this that is clear to me, but as I try to move it from my core into um, a logically cohesive, intellectually responsible response, I mean, I'm kind of just starting on this because the insurrection just happened a week ago, but can we talk through the... um, the finger pointing over, well, the leftists, you know, have been rioting all summer and now, you know, the right wing people, uh, you know, did the same thing and you weren't crying then and blah, blah, blah. So deep in my heart, I see a difference, but before I can actually articulate that, I need to, I need to start working this out with my, my brain and my words. So I'm curious, I'm curious to hear from you three the rioting and like a direct attack on our government our democracy our way of voting like the outcome of the election the voices of the american people the black lives matter protests over the summer were not that they were just people trying to get the same rights as everybody else has had this whole time so that's the difference i see I just really quick, because um, this helped me, I respond to your question with another question. Are you being canceled on Twitter or are you being shot in the streets? That's my question. 
you know, so to me, it's, it is that, you know, let's, it's almost like, let's test the system just enough um, to make sure that we can still do whatever we want to do. Let's test this power dynamic. I think that's happening on the subconscious level. I don't think people are consciously like, yes, yes, yes. But um, thinking that through, but I can't imagine um, another group of people being allowed to storm inside the Capitol and walk out alive. That to me is also why it feels different. Mm -hmm. I think people would say, well, um, yeah, but that's not what happened. So you can't postulate about what could or would have happened if it had been another group of people. All we know is what did happen. But I would say, based on what we saw this summer, um, based on what we've seen throughout um, the history of this country and the way certain people have been treated, um, it's very clear to me that that would have probably gone a different way. Um, I had a friend who texted me right afterwards and she was like, or, or during it, we were watching the live um, PBS stream and it, she texted me and she said, where are the police? I was like, that's a great question because I went to a protest and I saw tons of police and she texted me and she said, I was gassed more marching in a protest than these people storming inside our Capitol building. And there were a lot of um, very heroic um, yeah. law enforcement and there were law enforcement who were complicit. Mm -hmm. Both of those things are true. And every law enforcement officer, and I was thinking of, I was thinking of the female law enforcement officers in this scenario, and was afraid for them and was wondering what they were feeling. Every person who did their job at their own personal risk has my great admiration. And every person who didn't does not. And Allie, you mentioned um, Ruth, and that made me think, I, I will say, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why this is, but I, I can't say that like Nancy Pelosi is my favorite person of all time. I don't have any pictures of her up on my wall, but she was obviously a target and her office was a target. And a lot of media and opinion sources have, um, have painted a picture her, of her over the year that has cultivated contempt against her personally. And I feel like if she had been present in that building, something bad would have happened. And she is an she is an elderly woman. And I yeah. think there are certain people like Donald Trump has, but other figures that have deliberately cultivated hatred of her. And I think she would have I think she was in more danger than anybody, any other governmental figure except for Mike, possibly Mike Pence in that moment. And what a horror that would have been to see this largely male, though not exclusively male crowd, assault a senior and senior citizen female lawmaker. And I really think that her presence, if she had been caught in the Capitol building, I think we, like Emily said, we would be seeing a different story right now. And somebody Oh, yeah. Not just the people who put their hands on her, but some other people would have to answer for a long time for the career they have made out of demonizing her. And I realize yeah. I'm hypothetical. 
it's uh, yeah and you know the whole thing that happened recently with the um the pig head outside of her home what i did somebody yeah somebody um spray painted her garage and put the head of a pig outside of her garage this was two weeks ago the week of new year's so i 100 percent believe what you're saying katie i mean people absolutely despise her but i make a confessional statement i want to say something so at i'm sorry and a little bit emotional too um i mentioned about nancy pelosi not being my favorite person i actually have a story rather about hillary clinton and i am going back through right now um kind of my post-college life and the way I was trying to work out um, my intellectual and political stances after college. And there are things that I'm proud of and there are things that I would have done better and then there are things that I'm ashamed of. All of those things are true. There was a point in my life where one a person that I deeply, viscerally hated was Hillary Clinton. And I know that that was the product of cultural coaching from people who were making a lot of money to to shape opinions and i remember being in church and i don't really remember what our pastor was saying but i remember thinking to myself you really hate this woman and that is not compatible with the gospel and i it was something that i had to think about for a long 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 time very deliberately and there came a moment when I realized, I think I was also sitting in church, that I did not hate her anymore. And I could not remember. And to this day, I have tried very hard to remember what it was that I disliked about her. It has been wiped out of my memory. And that is, uh, I think, some kind of poetic language in the Bible about God forgetting our sins. And I think that this is sort of a poet because I because I remember plenty of my sins. This one in particular, I think God wiped out of my memory so that I re- I have a witness that that is what He does when we repent. I could you could ask me all day what it was that I hated about Hillary Clinton. I have no idea, um, and I know that that was a place where I opened up a door to people persuading me to think something that went against the gospel. And I, as we are being critical, I feel the need right now to confess that to whoever's listening. It could also be like the lack of a specific reason or reasons for hating her so much could also be evidence of that sort of cultural miasma that you were also talking about, um, that people just kind of build a caricature of her some like how they do to Nancy Pelosi as well and a lot of other politicians um, to the point where it's dehumanizing and then you're no longer just disagreeing with them about like politics or actions. You just like hate them. Yeah. How are you teaching? Like how are the people who you know, they support this or they think, you know, unfortunately we had to do this because the election is being stolen. So this, these are the steps we have to take, but it's like, so what are you teaching your children about 
how to deal with people who think differently from them um, and how to resolve conflict or how to live in conflict with people because we're all going to be with people that we disagree with. But I am not, <laughs> you know, knocking on anyone's door, putting a pig's head in their front yard because I hate them so much, right? Like, like that is just so terrifying to me. And Katie, as you were talking about the figures that so much of conservatism are taught to hate, it's very interesting that we have the, the three biggies have been mostly women. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Nancy Pelosi. And AOC. And when you were talking about, I just, on Wednesday, I had a pretty visceral reaction. I was quite scared um, seeing those things. Um, but it just triggered it all over again of how we took something that was just like political and we were going to have a human cost to it. Like we were going to take, they were going to take that room and they were going to do those things and they were going to stop it no matter what they had to do. And human like lives were lost. Like, and it, it doesn't matter whose side they were on, like that's still a human cost that should have never <laughs> happened. And the people who create the cultural miasma, as you're saying, Emily, the people who create this cult of personality where we all have to fall in line and only trust one person, you are culpable for this. You are like, like me as a white person who benefits from white privilege my entire life, I am part of a system that has moved forward that says white people can storm the Capitol and get a slap on the wrist and a few arrests. And if black people did that, they would be terrorists. That is not hypothetical. <laughs> we have done that to black and brown communities the entire history of the United States. There's just a lot of emotions about this. And I know a lot of people have yeah. a lot of emotions about this. It's very complicated. I will say one thing. Um, a lot of them, it was noted that they were a lot of Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans. And the complexities, as you have been calling us to think of, Allie, the complexities of war and the complexities of they have been on the front lines and it, their bodies have been at stake. And a country that largely forgets them and largely forgets to support them and the trauma that they have endured. So I also have compassion for that. It doesn't make their actions okay, but it does like complicate kind of who yeah. I think they are and remembering their story and their perspective. And one of, for me, just solidifies a deep desire for never having war again, whatever we have to do <laughs> to make that happen because it's, it, it, it harms people forever. That is not something we can ever get over going to war and being in those places. So that is one thing that I've been thinking about them and I've been praying for them as yeah. veterans, as people yeah. who endured great suffering and mm -hmm. then saw, you know, a call to arms, you know, was given from their great leader and they rose up because this is what they've been taught to do. And yeah. there's so much more than that. <laughs> there's so much more human than that. Yeah. They're not just a, a gun I can pick up and use at will. Yeah, that was, yeah, really vulnerable, like, thing to, to share. And so, yeah, thanks. And I, yeah, the other thing I was going to say about the emotional aspect of it is if and it goes back to what you were saying um emily about 
the Capitol feeling kind of like a church. And that made me think that it has felt this year. And I think when I was watching that last week, like nothing is sacred. Even the things that, you know, we think are beautiful and worthy of our admiration or our attention or our respect, you know, like the Capitol um, or like our democratic system or even like our community, you know, like communities that we build. Yeah, it just doesn't, it, it, it feels like a place I've often thought of as being quite sacred um, as like a cornerstone of, you know, our, our country, you know, like the Capitol building, you know, just to see it violated in that way, it's in a way a collective kind of violation of of us, you know, and, and of our values and our of our identity, you know, as Americans. It's very emotional. It's very hard to reconcile. So maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't reconcile it just yet. Yeah.